Welcome to a Radio 191 FM podcast. The Alpine Fault Line, Earth's longest terrestrial straight line, runs directly along the west coast of the South Island. This geological feature is not only impressive in size, but also in the consistency of its rupture. The Alpine Fault Line ruptures every 300 years or so, with the last rupture occurring in 1717. This means the Alpine Fault Line is due to rupture any day. A recent Teherangawaka, Victoria University of Wellington, study indicates that there is a 75% chance of the fault rupturing sometime in the next 50 years, with 82% probability that multiple sections of the fault line will be involved in a rupture, making it likely a magnitude 8 plus event. The Alpine Fault Line is in close proximity to financial and ecological resources, along with a few notable settlements. Here to talk to us about the consequences of the anticipated rupture, we have Professor Mark Sterling, Chair of Earthquake Science for the Otago Earthquake Science Group and Geology Professor at the University of Otago. Kia ora, Mark. Good morning. Available data indicates that the fault line is due to rupture sometime in our generation's lifespan. Can we be sure that the fault line will rupture again? How far back does this pattern of 300-year regularity span? Yeah, uh, it's our um, best data that we have is from a site down in the um, south end of the fault down towards Fjordland where we've got an 8,000-year record of alpine fault earthquakes. So there's over a record of over 20 earthquakes uh, at, at a couple of sites in that area. And, and so this and the timing, and they've all been dated, and so they show that there's this sort of 300, 320-year type um, time between earthquakes. So it's a pretty good database, and so we can, you know, we can be pretty sure that, um, you know, in, in the in the next um, X number of decades, there'll, there'll be, um, you know, a continuation of that that earthquake activity. Obviously, for the the modern ruptures, we've been able to log them as we've been here settled in the country. But how are historic ruptures logged? Well, our historic record, well, written record, goes back to 1840 when um, when New Zealand had um, you know settlement by um, British and Europeans, and written records started being taken of earthquakes. So really I think what you're referring to is going back to prehistoric times, pre-1840, where we have to rely on geology. And so we all these um, past earthquakes, including 1717, which is the last of the Alpine Fold earthquakes, have come from um, geological evidence and also um, forest disturbance because um, you have very old trees that, that show um, you know, disturbance in their growth structure, growth populations uh, coinciding with earthquakes. So, so yeah, we, it's it's all geologic data, and it just so happens that um, you know we haven't seen a historical alpine fault earthquake yet because our historical record is not quite long enough by about you know 120 years or so. What areas of the country will be most geologically affected by the upcoming rupture? Um, the west coast, central to south westland, uh, the area particularly, um, you know, from about Haast through to around Hokitika, I think would be 
affected most strongly. If you, if, if indeed the next earthquake is one of these, um, you know, 400 kilometre long magnitude eight-ish type earthquakes that that are have been, um, you know, banded around as the scenario earthquake for quite some time, because that's where the, you know, the west coast is long and thin. There's not. There's, there's only you know a few tens of kilometres between or less between the fault uh, and the the sea, and so you know you've got the um, the, the highway down there, and you have the the population uh, that that will be impacted most directly, and and so and lesser lesser but still significant effects to the east, so. Um, yeah, obviously, roading and populations impacted in the west coast by the direct and the indirect effects of the earthquake, and then all the access roads and lifelines and stuff that feed over through the west coast would be impacted quite heavily. Um, the the AF8 project, uh, which is a sort of a, a multi-agency project led by Caroline Orcheston of the Centre for Sustainability is a project that that has looked at a lot of you know those impacts and and sort of um, kind of preparing all the um, relevant organisations around the South Island um, you know for that next event. I'm interested in what sort of ecological and environmental consequences we can expect to see from the Alpine Fault Line's rupture. Will this event be likely to trigger other natural phenomena, floods, for example? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, as I said, the shaking from the earthquake is going to be just one of the um, the impacts. So, you know, you're going to have, if it was sort of a magnitude 8, 400 kilometre long type rupture, you know, you could have two minutes or more of strong shaking uh, because it takes that length of time for a 400-kilometre-long rupture to happen. But the shaking, it'll shake very steep terrain that hasn't been shaken strongly for centuries, and so you'll get a release of a lot of sediment into all the major catchments, and that will that has to go somewhere. What that'll do is produce... Um, what we call aggradation. It'll just cause a massive build-up of um, sediment in the catchment and in the floodplains, you know, where the where the catchments go out onto the narrow west coast plains. So what that so if you're in the way of that, you end up with gravels and you know, sort of um, lots of um, adversities from that. And places like you know, Franz Joseph, where you've got the the Waiho River, uh, the, you would have um, build-up of, of sediment that could, you know, overtop their their um, flood banks and cause, you know, um, erosion and, and deposition through the town. So pre, some of the prehistoric alpine fold earthquakes have produced many metres of um, build-up of sediment on the floodplain, you know, aggradation of sediment, and we can see that where there's buried um, tree stumps and things with lots and lots of gravel on the top. So you're basically cleansing the mountains by shaking them, removing all the material that has, you know, become unstable on the sides of the mountains, some of the vegetation as well, and it's being flushed down into the into the lowlands. So that's going to be a very significant effect. It'll take out roads and things as well, farmland, 
you know, Franz Joseph will be would be impacted. Uh, and um, what would some of the other effects be? Yeah, when when you do that, you um, those those high energy rivers, their channels will get um, diverted, and you'll get um, another phenomena called avulsion, where the river will form a new course, and it could it could you know, go out over over um, farmland or, or you know settlements or something, and and cause direct flooding and erosion damage. There'll be places where you have very large landslides, where you have very steep slopes. Uh, you know, there have been some very very large. Uh, landslides even, you know, could refer to them as mega landslides from prehistoric alpine fault earthquakes that have, you know, involved whole mountain range sides falling down and the apron of, of debris going, um, spreading out kilometres away from the range. And that, that those landslides um, take a lot of energy to form and therefore they happen pretty fast and, and, and take out anything in their path. So those those are the those are the effects, and um, you know the the recovery from the Alpine Fault earthquake uh, would have to take into account all these you know all these the the effects of these secondary um, activities. So so it would take a long time to recover from it. You've mentioned both farmland and roads there. The Alpine Fault Line runs from the upper east coast of Te Waipunamu, the South Island directly down the west coast, finishing at around the Milford Sound, and that does run over an abundance of agriculturally rich land, including dairy and sheep farming areas and highways. The potential destruction of these sectors is only one of the possible financial consequences of the line's rupture. Could you talk any more about what economical consequences we might expect from this event? Okay, well, um, yeah, I think you mentioned uh, the, the, the fault going all the way from the east coast of the North Island, that's actually, I think if you said that, that's actually the whole plate boundary of the Pacific to Pacific Australian plate boundary. But the Alpine Fault's really just the, the sort of um, South Island from about, um, well, it's got an extension up through into Marlborough. But the main area we're talking about is on the west coast. So um, focusing on that earthquake, the long term, the long term effects, it, it would. It, it, I mean, I, I'm speculating a bit here, and not um, not being um, so much into the financial analysis side of things. But I think that a the earthquakes in a would be in a relatively remote area, but it's in a um, it would be a very long rupture. So there'd be quite um, significant long-term economic effects, uh, certainly in the in the west coast, but also with a lot of the South Island infrastructure, uh, because of you know access roads and lifelines being compromised by the earthquake, you know no access to the west coast for probably quite a long time, uh, and um, so therefore um, tourism would get significantly affected in the west coast. It happened a bit with Kaikoura, where it was hard for tourists to get in. Um, you know, everything, all the access was closed, and also um, the the 
effect was that a lot of tourists were scared, scared to go into the area and, and even scared to go to New Zealand because it had this re, you know, refreshed reputation as being a shaky, dangerous place. So there would be there could be national effects on tourism, uh, and also the direct economic effects of having to put a lot of money, New Zealand tax money, government money into um, re- recovery of the west coast and all the accesses into the west coast and some of the critical lifelines up and down the South Island. I mean, the with the Kaikoura earthquake in 2016 the road and rail um, lines, you know our main trunk South Island railway line and our State Highway 1 were, were closed up there for um, pretty much a year and and that was um, an earthquake that's not as big as the South Island Fault one I mean the, the fault is in the remote west coast so those effects will be less but still quite significant um, and um, yeah, I, I guess that um, the the Kaikoura analog is probably quite a good one for showing how, you know how what sort of level of um, recovery, length of time, what has to be done uh, in terms of what might happen for the Alpine Fault. You're looking you're looking at um, you know five years of, of recovery properly. Um, and initially, you know, quite some months uh, before uh, access is restored. And, you know, tourism confidence would take a while to um, get re-established in the area. Um, again, I say that, you know, Caroline Orchison, who's the leader of AFA, has got, um, um, you know, her finger on the pulse with a lot of this, this the details of this sort of... Um, Recovery. You've mentioned that recent Kaikoura earthquake. Do you think that's likely to have released some of the tension from the fault line, perhaps allowing for a less intense quake when the Alpine fault line finally ruptures? Uh, not, not in terms of the Alpine fault. No, it's too far away. Uh, it has done. Kaikoura has done quite a lot of um, work in terms of releasing. Um, the accumulated strain on that part of the plate boundary, but just on that part of the plate boundary, it's it's sort of a 200 kilometre long rupture, and it sort of filled a gap in our in some of our um, earthquake activity along the plate boundary. But it's well to the northeast of the Alpine Fault, and there was yeah there was some. Um, analysis of that at the time and, and the conclusion was that there was no effect on the on the fault at all. all. Between the, between where Kaikoura happened and the Alpine Fault is a big fault system called the Hope Fault and that did not rupture during the earthquake. Um, if that had ruptured it would have and ruptured its full length, it would have linked up with the Alpine Fault and there might have been some influence, but that didn't happen. Obviously, the Kokoda earthquake had a shockingly high and tragic mortality rate. Can we expect anything similar to that from the Alpine fault lines rupture, or is its isolation going to play a big role in ensuring that there are as few mortality consequences as can be? 
I don't think there were any... Um, there, there might have been one casualty with perhaps two casualties with the Kaikoura earthquake, but a, a great deal of um, economic impact. Uh, I, an Alpine Fault earthquake, you know, during the during the daytime might have um, some uh, would have some casualties. I would imagine with the amount of tourists that are in the west coast at any one time, uh, it would not be on the same level, obviously, as say a, an earthquake right ground zero in a in one of our built-up areas, one of our cities, you know, like Wellington or something like that, it, it wouldn't have the same level of casualties because there's simply not the same population. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have people in their camper vans, in their cars, driving those highways, doing sightseeing. You've, you've got the local population, um, you know, and... Um, there would be probably time, um, situations where people have very, very bad luck of being in the wrong place at the wrong time with strong shaking and, you know, landslides and things things like that. What sort of protective measures do we have in place to ensure the rupture will have minimal negative implications for us? And what can we be implementing now to protect communities, lands and Aotearoa's economy from the rupture? Well, um, I think the AF8 project, which is short for Alpine Fault Magnitude 8, is uh, um, you know uh, certainly a, a national leader, if not a world leader, in uh, earthquake preparedness and in anticipation of a of a very very likely event. And so, really, uh, we I, I'm pretty. Um, sure we've done as as much as we can in anticipating this next Alpine Fault earthquake. I mean the science has been well supported so there's the there's the numbers, there's the, the earthquake prehistory and there's the probabilities for the future one, there's the scenario earthquake that's been mapped and, and modelled in terms of the ground shaking um, it's involved a lot of scientists in a room together working through these sorts of things and then it's progressed to having uh, a lot of people from the relevant territorial authorities, the relevant councils, the relevant, um, you know, lifelines providers, electricity, roading, rail, etc. All, um, in you know, in the same room together being... Uh, informed on this earthquake and saying, okay, well, what can we as a as a collective um, group of um, stakeholders, if you like, uh, do in preparation for this event? And so the communication lines are in place, the plans and preparedness. So it's it's not going to be an out-of-the-blue type event. I mean, it's always shocking when it happens and, you know, you think, oh, well, here we are, we've got to deal with this, and there will be a lot of surprises, but it's, it's you know, people are not um, in denial about it or uninformed about it. So so um, so that's that's really good. There's plans in place there, and AF8 is a very living thing, and what we, and what we do with AF8, we... Um, have these um, every few years have these road shows where we go around all the 
centres in the South Island and do presentations on the AFA. Caroline leads this. And, but we also take an opportunity to talk about the local fault lines away from the Alpine Fault. So we also use the um, awareness and the, the um, planning and preparedness to educate people in, in other regions uh, you know, about their local faults and what they need to do. So it's sort of having that wider, uh, you know, sort of impact. And there's an organisation up in the North Island called East Coast Labs that is doing similar things with the um, big subduction zone hazard up there. Uh, so so um, on the ground in the West Coast, the engineering has for a long time been taking into account the fact that the Alpine Fault is there and there's other fault lines, Hope Fault. And so the design takes into account those big earthquakes. So when you have um, road cuttings or you have bridges like the Oterra Viaduct uh, and Arthur's Pass, they are designed to withstand those strong earthquakes. So while I say there'll be lots of um, damage and stuff, we're... um, you know, we're minimising that damage with our engineering practices and then through our planning and preparedness. So, I mean, we live in the shaky isles. We have to live with earthquakes and tsunamis and, and the other effects. Uh, but we we have, um, you know, to the best, particularly with this Alpine Fault, it's, I would say, to the best of our abilities at the present time, we have... Um, you know, prepared for it. Nga Mark. Thank you for coming on and chatting about the Alpine Fault Line. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You're listening to the Rapa R1 News, and the time is 17 minutes to 12. That was Professor Mark Sterling, Chair of Earthquake Science for the Otago Earthquake Science Group and Professor of Geology at the University of Otago, talking about possible consequences of the Alpine Fault Line's upcoming rupture. Thanks for listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.